0: Support for this podcast is provided by ThatCast Creative. Brand your business and connect with your audience by creating a custom podcast. Learn more at ThatCast.com.
1: Want to advertise on this podcast or one like it and reach a targeted and engaged audience? Go to ThatCast.com to start reaching our audience. ThatCast Network presents The Beaver Buzz. A look inside Oregon State Athletics
0: with your host, Bob Lundeberg. All right, we're coming in hot today, Slaughter. Second time's a try on this introduction. The first one was lost to the machines, but that's okay. We're just going to jump straight into some Beaver football. Sound good? Let's do it. All right. Probably should say first, my name is Bob Lundenberg, and you're listening to the Beaver Buzz Podcast, part of the That Cast Podcast Network. We are six fall camp practices deep now for Oregon State, so I figured it was the time to bring in one of the true experts of the Oregon State world, Brendan Slaughter from beaversedge.com. Brendan, thanks for uh, coming back on the show for what is your third appearance, correct? Third appearance, uh, right on the money, third
2: time's a charm, maybe.
0: Yeah, exactly. (laughs) We couldn't remember if it was two, three, or four. We knew it was somewhere right in there. but. Um, As always, we're sitting down here in the Go Coliseum media room, one of our favorite spots in the world, and also need to throw out there for everyone listening, we are recording this on Thursday afternoon, about an hour before Oregon State is getting underway with its seventh practice of the fall camp season. So if anything crazy happens uh, Thursday at fall camp, it will not be covered here. You'll have to hear about it later, either read about it at Oregon Live or at beaversedge.com. But Brendan, we'll go ahead and start you off with this, um, because we haven't seen each other since media day about a week ago. What has kind of caught your eye or what have you been thinking about from an Oregon State perspective through the first you know week or so of fall camp? It could be players or coaches or anything you've seen on or off the field. I guess what's kind of been on your radar so radar so far through fall camp? Yeah I think it's just
2: been in that increased attitude of you know wanting to achieve much more this year. You know you and I were both at media day we heard coach Smith the players just about everyone toss around the, the word of urgency and I think it's applied to Oregon State in all aspects following you know that two and ten campaign last year to the point where you see a lot of guys that you know have taken ownership of that play last year there's not a lot of guys that are like you know trying to back away from how porous the team was last year they're owning up to it, and I think that shows a lot of maturity, responsibility and Oregon State has a bit of a unique situation, you know, in the sense of year two under Jonathan Smith. It's not a super, super young team. It's an interesting mix of veterans and young guys. So there's the possible notion that Oregon State could be a little bit better with some, you know, uh, some key senior leadership and some um, high-level transfers and whatnot. But until we start to see what they look like on the field, it's a lot of moving pieces. But so far, I've been impressed with just kind of a more uh, mature demeanor that's kind of gone on this year. It seems like the Beavers are in year two and they know what's expected of them.
0: I think you're right there. Maturity is certainly uh, a one way to put it. It's also I think there's just a maybe guys are more comfortable. You've heard a lot of people say that, particularly the returning guys, they feel more comfortable about everything. I I think they feel more comfortable in the schemes. I think they feel more comfortable with the coaching staff. I think they probably feel more comfortable with just the general direction everything is going. And that probably is a really natural thing to feel because these players, you know, some of the guys that are in their third, fourth, or fifth year at Oregon State, Jake Luton, I guess he's a sixth-year senior. He hasn't been here that long, but (laughs) he's an older guy. I mean... these guys have experienced a, a lot of turmoil and, you know, there's been, there's been losses, there's been coaching changes, there's been attrition on the team and the coaching staffs. And it, it probably has been really difficult to go through at times, but you know, other than secondary coach, Greg Burns, it's the entire coaching staff is back intact. A lot of players did come back from last year's team. And I think there was a lot of progress made in the offseason. So that's probably why you're kind of seeing this more mature approach. I think it probably is. It's probably true because I think guys probably have matured a lot.
2: And it was actually something that I touched base with a little bit with the players at Media Day about. And I remember talking to Jalen Moore specifically, you know, um, both the Oregon State's redshirt seniors and true seniors, the most success and highest number of wins they've had came in 2016 when they won four games and beat Oregon. And you're looking back at these – and I asked Jalen Moore, and it was just kind of like a, you know – You've you know accomplished you know the the height of four wins. Is there a desire? And that's where he kind of just looked at me and was like, absolutely. You know who doesn't want to win more games? And I think now that Oregon State's armed with a little bit more comfortability, familiarity in the systems here too, mm-hmm. we could see them start to maybe take some steps in progress towards the right direction in terms of win increases. But it's one of those things that's like. It's there's a pecking order. There's a cre- clear, you know, rebuilding timeline and it ta- takes time and it can, not something that happens overnight. So exciting. Nonetheless, uh, Oregon State will be better this year than they were last year. There's no doubt in my mind about that. But what that better is going to look like? Well, that's for us to find out in the rest of fall camp.
0: Yeah, so for me, I was just, you know, Wednesday during practice. It was a nice, cool, windy, beautiful day. I was sitting about halfway up in the Westside Research Stadium stands during practice with your colleague Mitch, actually. Mitch Mongey. And, and good old Ronald Clark from KZI. A couple just, great guys there. Yeah, <laughs> sure. We, had, we, had, we, had, you know, we were definitely really locked in for all the scrimmage and stuff, but, you know, we had a little conversation <laughs> side yeah, to side. Absolutely. But I think we were all kind of sitting up there and watching, and certainly I, I was thinking this, and I was just struck by, you know, kind of in the middle of practice, just – Hey, you know, Oregon State is actually pretty dang strong at some of these position groups. And, you know, you look starting at running back, that's probably an obvious one that's been talked about a lot. I mean, with Jamar Jefferson, he could be one of the best backs in the Pac-12, if not the country. Art Pierce, who I mean, he hasn't even been practicing yet. He's a little dinged up, but he I think everyone knows what he can do. BJ Baylor, Calvin Tyler, these are a couple quality backs that haven't necessarily gotten a lot of time yet, but I think there's great promise there. And then watching this true freshman, Teron Madison, he's just a truck out there. I don't know what he's listed at, but he looks like 6'1, 6'2, 230 or something. He's just right
2: pretty close. Yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, he's just this big guy, just fills up the uniform, and it's just like, oh, he'd be tough to bring down. And then going from there, looking the wide receiver group, there's a bunch of there's a bunch. You guys there too again Trevon Bradford he hasn't been practicing but he should be back soon what Isaiah Hodgins Colby Taylor I think Tyjohn Lindsey is a guy yep. a lot of people are high on Champ Flemings has had a good camp from what I've heard Josiah Irish Aaron Short I, he was out there making a couple plays too I mean that's like what seven guys right there and then just on the defensive side I think the linebacker group is actually pretty <laughs> good I mean at least at the top with you know the new guys they have bat with Avery Roberts I think Asin Gums can make an impact Hamilcar Rashid I think he can be i mean andre hughes murray there, there's a lot of players there even at safety i think they've got yeah. some guys right david morris Jalen moore omar hicks onu's been looking good jeffrey manning there's that's four position groups right there where oregon state i think you could say is definitely above average in terms of uh, uh, pac 12 teams and maybe even better than that there's there's certainly a lot of other position groups on the <laughs> team and a lot of other areas that, that are concerning but i mean you have to I mean, don't you think that there are certainly some areas now in Jonathan Smith's second year where it's just like, hey, Oregon State, you know, they're 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 putting things some they're putting some things together at some positions.
2: Yeah, I'm gonna take it a step further, Bob. And I'm and I remember when I talked to Coach Lindgren uh, at Media Day and I was asking him about their wide receivers and running backs specifically, and I, I asked him, I said, you know, you've been a part of some really talented offensive, you know, units from your time at Colorado and even before that. Have you had a skill position group, specifically receivers and running backs, that's been this deep? And he had to think about it for a second, and he's receivers, close, running backs, he said this is the deepest group he's ever had as a coordinator. And, you know, that made me kind of excited about the year. You know, he mentioned that in addition to having, you know, Jamar, you know, he feels that, you know, AP could be a starter at a lot of the schools here in the Pac-12. You obviously mentioned Teron Madison. Uh, I really don't want people to sleep on BJ Baylor. I think Mm -hmm. he's been uh, impressive, particularly as a pass blocker. He's a really big body, um, I think could really help protect the quarterback if Oregon state needs to go with maybe that two running back set or whatever. Um, But when you talk about receivers, you know, Lindgren was kind of mentioning some names he had at Colorado, you know, Shea Fields, Paul Richardson, Bryce Bobo, just, you know, really good receivers. We all know Paul Richardson, you know, the um, most storied career so far to come out of Colorado, but just kind of compared and was like, you know, this is not that far off from some really, really good teams that I had at Colorado. So offensively i'm not worried about the beavers at all i think um you know they'll, they'll. there's a few questions up front but in terms of running backs receivers and uh whoever they go with at quarterback i think they'll succeed defensively you highlighted it um the defensive line is improved Huge loss, uh, losing Jeremy Reikner. Um, just have to touch base on that for just a second. Yeah, you know? we can
0: certainly do that. That was just wh- – what day was that? That was earlier that this was, week. That was Saturday's okay, practice. Okay, so it was technically last week. So that week, was, but, I believe,
2: day three's practice. Yeah.
0: And the part that
2: just sticks with me is that, you know, I, I caught up with Jeremy, you know, at media day and was – we were talking about, you know, how last year he never really felt 100% even when he got on the field. Yeah. And that he was so excited to play with his brother Omar Spates and – you know, true even freshman as,
0: linebacker. Even as
2: a journalist, you know you feel that kind of pain when you know when when I hear that you know Jeremy Torres ACL and you know Mitch was able to pass that along and Coach Smith confirmed it. You know, you just kind of feel a little bit of uh, just a little bit of sadness for the kid because he was a kid who came to Oregon State for a specific purpose, was going to be heavily in the defensive line's plans this year, and now has to kind of put that on hold. You know, he'll likely pursue an extra year of eligibility um, to conti- to have that opportunity to play with his brother, but. Big loss there. And then linebackers, uh, you and I uh, both wrote about the linebackers yesterday, Bob. And I think there's um, a lot going on with those guys. I think there's some significant improvement. Um, I think you and I are both pretty high on Coach Trent Bray and like what he brings to the table. Uh, And then back in the secondary, once they get some guys healthy, I want to see David Morris get back on the field soon. Um, he hasn't really taken those reps that we've expected him to so far, no, no. and uh, same with Jeffrey Manning too. Another corner guy that I want to see get back on the field, but Jeffrey Manning was actually he
0: participated quite quite a bit in, yeah, yes. in Wednesday's practice, yes. but yeah, he's still not. You can tell he's not at one hundred percent right now. He is not full go. Yeah, and
2: that was a guy that I really pegged as a guy that I think could break out. And Manning, I'm pretty yeah. high on him and. Um but outside you know you look at um you know other than those bumps and bruises which are going to happen in fall camp the big thing Oregon State needs to avoid now is another big time injury. They've already had their big time injury and it's already bad enough that it happened before pads even went on. I mean that's you know you talk about football injuries that's about as tough as it gets but Oregon State's biggest key now is they built some depth in the off season. It's not tremendous depth, it's better But if they start having more injuries, that's where that depth can kind of start to whittle away.
0: You mentioned the linebackers. Actually, I think a lot of people kind of have been writing about them the last couple days or so. You did. I did in the Oregonian. And part of that is because it's a group that Coach Smith himself singled out as a group that it's really, you know, he's been impressed with what he's seen, both the inside linebackers and outside. We kind of talked about some of those names earlier. And part of them are returners. Some of them are newcomers. The one guy that to me seems to be making this giant impact is Avery Roberts. And, and he's an inside backer, Nebraska transfer. And you can tell he just has the, the instincts, which is such an important part of being an inside linebacker. I think he has a really nice feel for the game. He seems like he's in the right spot a lot. And, and you know, he doesn't have necessarily overwhelming size. He's like a six foot-one, two hundred and thirty-pound guy. Not that he's small or anything, but he's not enormous. But he can hit with pretty surprising power. And to me, he's also an adept blitzer. Routinely at Wednesday's practice when they were doing blitz pickup drills he was just dominating the interior of the offensive line on blitzes he has a great swim move yeah I think he can spin a little bit I think he can get to the quarterback on blitzes and he can also run sideline to sideline I just I think having a guy like Avery Roberts in the middle of Oregon State's defense I think that could be really huge
2: well not not to single out anybody from last season but I think when it's it's hard to quantify how much better the Beavers will be when you take out jonathan willis last mm-hmm. year's starting inside back and it was not
0: again it was not all his fault no the defensive line in front of him he often was having to deal with guys right in yeah. his face so yeah. that, that is part this is partly too because the defensive line we think is probably going to be better as well but still to your point
2: yeah Avery. no absolutely and, yeah. I, and i think you know you look at the linebacking core last year you looked at guys that were in there a lot mm-hmm. uh, and jonathan willis and even key wetzel you know key wetzel changed positions you know not even Playing at linebacker anymore because I think the Beavers can put some better, better equipped yeah. players for that position. Key now,
0: key now at safety, yeah. he's gonna and he's going to struggle to crack the rotation. Yeah, and, safety. And,
2: and Willis, you know, bounced around. I think two uh, inside and outside, two three mm-hmm. different times in his career, and had to play how many different defensive coordinators' playbooks in his three. Yeah. So it's tough for any of those guys. And I, and you know, you look at that. But now that you bring in a guy who, again, it's impossible to quantify getting a transfer that is an immediate starter for you. And uh, a guy that, you know, the coaching staff is high on Avery's got to prove it on game days. Like a lot of these new faces have to, you know, that's the one thing I consistently find myself coming back to is that, yeah, these guys are starting to look better in practice, starting to look better in practice. But until we see it on game day, mm-hmm. that's when we'll know where that real improvement has come from.
0: So we've talked about, uh, I'd say a decent amount of the positives we've seen so far. I mean, and you've already touched on an injury here or two there, but other than the injury part where a few guys are banged up and Jeremy Reitner is going to be out for the year, what, what are your big, what's your biggest concern or a couple of your biggest concerns about this team heading into the season?
1: I
2: think there's really only one position group that I'm concerned about, and it's the offensive line. Yeah. And I, I don't think um, I'm alone in that opinion amongst our media circle. I think, you are not. <laughs> I think everyone else kind of understands that that's the area that – you know, to put it bluntly, could make or break the Beavers this year. Um, offensively, they look good, right? They have very good receivers, very good running backs. I think two quarterbacks that can win them games. I know, Beaver fans, you've been hearing that for it seems like years since Sean Mannion, you know, has graduated, that there's there's two quarterbacks that could go 1v1. But both these guys, you know, I don't know if I've seen a competition between two guys that's been more
0: um, – Let's we'll talk about the quarterback's yeah, yeah. later. Let's let's focus yeah, on the let's yeah. focus on the offensive line because I think that point you're making is cuz for yeah. f- the fact of the matter is Oregon State has the skill position guys. We just talked about it. I we didn't even mention the tight end group. I think it's a really strong group of tight Definitely. ends, blocking and receiving.
2: And I and I think that's where it's going to help out the offensive line big time. And you're going to look at a situation where a guy like Teagan Quatoriano, Quitor- or you could see Noah Togiai or you could see Isaiah Smalls. Heck, maybe even Luke
0: Musgrave. Luke you know. Musgrave, freshman from Bend, yeah. is a fantastic football big time, player. Big I time. don't know how he redshirts. Yeah, I, I mean, it's... He might because of depth, but he is a fantastic player.
2: Right, and you look at and you, you think, okay, maybe now Oregon State's got to tack a couple tight ends uh, on each side to help with pass and run protection. But I think the core is there, right? I think you're very strong up front with Blake Brandle, Gus Lavaca. Once Nathan Eldridge is back to 100%, I think he locks if, if
0: he's ever back to 100%. I mean, well, in yeah. it, I mean in the next 3 months, I, yeah. he's coming off that torn ACL. Yeah. He's He's a transfer from Arizona, graduate transfer. He is he he just really hasn't done anything. Yeah, yet. no, I yeah. I, ex-
2: I expect him to be there. I'd be shocked if he if he didn't work his way there. Um, if not, they're probably going to go with someone like Omnismus Clark uh, at center, and then you know again Brandon Kipper, Clay Cordasco on that right side. The two new pieces that haven't had a lot of in game experience. You know, you look at Cordasco who played a lot in JC and then played a little bit special teams last year. Kipper hasn't played a ton at all, just regardless. He played in a few games last year while redshirting. But those two guys on that right side are kind of the question marks. I think they'll come along. I think they will because I think Jim Holchek is one heck of an offensive line coach. But
0: right now, there's some question marks for sure. I mean— I know improvements have been made, I know that guys have been added from outside the program, both through transfers and recruiting, but for me, I'm just gonna need to see the improvements really on both lines. Yeah, it's got, it has to so, show on game day. That's the thing, because it's just like, it's really tricky to gauge this yeah. stuff in practice, because there are times in, in every single one of these, these practices I've seen so far, is the offensive line will blow giant holes open and the backs will just gash, yeah. gash the defense for 15, 20, 30, 40 yards. And, you know, is that excellent run blocking or does that say something about the defensive front? And then, 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 there, then there are other times in practice where you'll see that the pass rush will get home. The quarterbacks yeah. will have absolutely no time to throw. Does that mean that the pass rush has dramatically improved or does that mean that the offensive line still has major issues in pass protection? There's just absolutely no way we're going to yeah, do any these questions until the season starts. No, think.
2: those are some big-time questions and answers that, you know, like you said, until we see the Cowboys come into Reese's Stadium – you know we can we can say till the till the cows go come home that we think Oregon State's offensive line looks really really good against their defensive line or vice versa, but until you get some other teams coming in here and we see how that line of scrimmage is either being won or isn't won, that's gonna be the true determinant on whether this Oregon State team is you know plateauing up to the you know four five six win mark or hanging around that two three four mark so I think there's quite a bit of you know um variation for where the beavers can end up depending on some factors but right now there's still some some question marks that need to be answered for sure
0: all right slaughter let's uh pause for a second and we'll be right back after the break with uh some talk looking ahead to that season opener
1: Anna anakinzano hosts that expert show the show you help run Hear the top experts on a variety of topics, interviewed by a top journalist. Find That expert show and other shows on the ThatCast network. Visit ThatCast.com. From Guild Coliseum to Research Stadium, it's the Beaver Buzz with Bob Lundeberg.
0: Okay, Slaughter, prediction time. Let's pretend it's Monday. Yeah, Monday, August 26th and we're about to receive our first official depth chart from Jonathan Smith. Who is listed at QB number one? Jake Luton or Tristan Jebbia? Jake Luton. How confident are you of that? 70%. <laughs> oh, 70%. I thought you were actually going to go higher. No. So what so why why 70%? Why why did you you didn't hesitate to say Jake Luton? Why did you not hesitate and why do you give it 70% which is, you know, a pretty likely outcome. Yeah,
2: you know, I um like I said, don't get me wrong, that margin is is slimming by the day. You know, heading into fall camp, I would have said it was more like 85 um Luton just because I think he was a step ahead and of Jebbia when we last saw them in spring. Now with that being said, um, Tristan came back uh, a much more polished mature and I would say you know he's in better football playing shape uh, to an extent than he was in the end of spring comes back at media day was blown away by the kids confidence his leadership I think Oregon State's going to have a really good player in him and even if they choose to go with him I you know I won't uh, you know I don't think that's a bad choice by any means I think he's a really good player but the reason I go with Jake is that for everything that I've seen really good from Tristan, I've seen just a slight step better from Luton. And I think that's because Jake is practically an old man now. You know, it is, I
0: believe He even jokes about it. Yeah, he's
2: 23, you know, six-year senior, came back. He didn't, I mean, with all due respect, he didn't come back to ride the pine in his sixth <laughs> year. And I just, I think it's going to take a lot to keep a six-year senior on the bench knowing the kind of, like, old-school guy that Jonathan Smith is, and I think... Jake's earned it. You know, you look at what, you know, he did last year against Colorado. In my opinion, that game alone gives him the right to start the year. I mean, you look at how he played on like one ankle for like the second half of the year and kept Oregon State close against or beat Colorado, kept him close against USC for a bit. You know, it was a dismal year, but once he got healthy again, he showed he could make a lot of plays in Lindgren's offense. So I give him a slight
0: edge. I mean, there are a lot of, I'd say, well, maybe not a lot. There are definitely a good number of people out there right now, including yourself. They're just very convinced that the race has tightened up a lot. Big time. And I feel like, and I think we're in agreement here, that there was no question after spring practice, right, that Jake Luton was the definitely. was the front
2: runner, correct? Absolutely.
0: And I am also, I, I'm, I was in that camp. But I'm also willing to admit now that the race definitely in my opinion has tightened and I think that is Completely to Jebbia's credit because I think he is improved a lot since the spring But there's still one big area to me where I feel that Luton has the advantage and that is throwing the deep ball Because I still at this point um, With with Jebbia when you watch him in practice, I think his accuracy on short to intermediate throws I actually think it's really good. It's potentially even better than Luton's he has he, he does have a pretty good arm And he just seems to have a knack of fitting those balls Into those tight windows Between the hashes in the middle of the field I think Jebbia is really, really good at that But still on the deep passes I think maybe in the spring, and since I've seen him practice, I think I can maybe count on one hand the amount of you know 40-plus yard throws down the field that Jebby has completed. It's just not really his strong suit at this mm-hmm. point, and, and that's an area where I think Luton kind of excels. His deep ball, uh, when he arrived at Oregon State, maybe needed a little bit of touch here and there. I think he's gotten a lot better at it. He he routinely completes deep balls in practice. I think we've seen Luton hit some longer throws in games now too. That's just an area that I I think is important. Um, I'm not sure for Coach Smith and Coach Lindgren. I don't know if throwing the deep ball is necessarily at the top of their list. But in my mind, that's what Jake Luton clearly has over Jebbia, along with the experience. And just from what we've seen so far, I think Jebbia needed to really take that job from him and clearly prove he was better. And in my mind, I don't think he's done that yet.
2: I, I think he really hit it right on the button, you know, Bob, because I remember talking to Coach Lindgren, Coach Smith from spring until now, and one of the reoccurring themes that came out of out of talking about what they'd like to see on offense it was stretch the field vertically there you go this year and get that you know they feel they have a guy and you know um josiah irish champ flemings um tyjon lindsey that can just burn guys if necessary and, and hodgins is a deep fret because of his size yes and yeah. then you know you toss in you no know, togei whatever or you know smalls but that's where I said I agree with you that I think Jake's ac- or Jake's strength is in that deep ball and when you're 6 foot 6, 6 foot 7 listed um, and can put that kind of power behind the ball Jake is when you look at him what you expect out of a Pac-12 starting quarterback. He's big, he's strong, he can, you know, move the ball around. I've been impressed with how uh, he's come back to uh, fall camp in better shape. You can notice that he's a little quicker, you know, um, on those zone reads. Obviously, he's not ever pulling the ball, but if there was a situation, you see sometimes he's a little bit quicker getting around the edges. I think we're finally seeing, um, you know, zero effect from the injury a couple years ago. Not even to say that it was there last year, but just, you know, I think it's fully behind now. He looks 100% in the best I've ever seen him here in Corvallis from a physical standpoint, from a mental standpoint, and that's what you'd expect from a six-year senior, and that's why I think he's going to be given the chance to start, at least to start the year.
0: I I think it's probably fair to say that uh, a segment of the fan base really does want Jebbia to win this job, and I think it's because uh, a lot of it is just because he's a sophomore, whereas Luton is a senior, and I think a lot of fans view this year as Hey, uh, hopefully the team is better, but it's not like this is going to be the team that breaks through, wins seven or eight games and really makes that statement. I think a lot of fans really would hope that Coach Smith and everyone would kind of use this year as another building year. Get that sophomore quarterback in and then hopefully by year three, you're ready to bust out and go to a bowl game. But I just I don't know if that's really fair to the seniors on this team, to really everyone on this team. They put in so much work, they've gone through so much, and you just have to try to win every single game. And the fact of the matter is, if the coaching staff thinks that Jake Luton is the quarterback that is in position to best or the, the best candidate to win games, I just think you have to go with him. I think you'd lose the locker room if it was obvious to the rest of the players that you weren't playing the best guy. So it just I don't I understand the fans' desire to want to try to build toward – the future but you can't just play the young guy because he's the young guy I mean I I, that's just my opinion anyway no
2: and and I'm kind of with you because you know I I understand where Beaver fans are coming from because you know for those Oregon State fans that just casually turn on those games or you know don't follow the team super super close outside of Colorado what has Jake Luton done to the Beaver done for Beaver fans that have kind of been like oh my gosh he is the guy Right, he's had some injuries. Obviously, not his fault. He's played
0: well in stretches.
2: In stretches, but not consistently. Well, right,
0: a lot of it's been health too. I think it's fairness, yeah. I mean, in
2: Get- health I mean, he is- system. I think yeah. it's a combination because I mean, you look at when he was a starter coming in. Putting Jake Luton in Kevin McGiven's offense, I apologize for you having to go through that, Jake. Yeah. That, that's tough. That didn't work. Um, and then, you know, last year, first year, you know, he gets a concussion on the first series of the game against Ohio State. Then, you know, gets hurt against Nevada. Then, you know, it's just you feel for him too. And that's why it's like if if Jake can stay healthy, the ceiling could be the limit for what this guy could accomplish. We've seen him put up, you know, good numbers at J.C. And obviously – The a couple the previous coaching staff thought enough of him at the time to say he was better than Marcus McMarion. So, you know, I mean, there's I think there's a high ceiling for Jake if he can be protected and if he can, you know, stand back like that cannon arm quarterback and let it fly.
0: One thing that always is just kept sticking in my mind about all of this is just when I watch Jebbia kind of from afar, either on the sidelines or up whatever, he just reminds me so much just from looking at him from a physical standpoint, a former Washington quarterback, Jake Browning. I just I, I can't I see it I, I see can't it. I can't unsee it. I actually, I looked it up. Jebbia is listed at six two one ninety three. Not 100% sure on either number, but we'll give it to him. And then Browning, I looked it up last year. He was listed at six two two ten, And I can safely say Browning <laughs> was not 210 pounds when I was standing right next to him, interviewing him right after they lost to Oregon last year. So I, I imagine, you have to imagine that Jonathan Smith, right, was pretty fond of Browning. I mean, yeah. he recruited him, coached him for three years. They went to the college football playoff. And I'm not trying to say that Jebbia is Jake Browning here. I don't think that at all. But just I I actually even think that Jebbia probably has a better arm than Jake Browning because Jake Browning's arm strength really wasn't too great. But I also think Jake Browning probably had a better career than a lot of people are giving him credit for. I mean, he went... 39-15 39-15 and 15 overall win-loss record through 93 touchdowns to 34 picks. I mean, at this point, Jake Browning is, was underrated, his career at Washington. I know that the arm strength and all that wasn't there, but, but, but he had a really nice career. And I kind of guess where I'm going with all of this is I wonder if Jonathan Smith at all looks at Tristan Jebbia, watches him and all that, and thinks, hey – this guy reminds me of Jake Browning. We won a lot of football games with Jake Browning. I wonder if this is the kind of guy I want to go with. It's just something that I've been thinking about, and I can't get out of my mind. And it might purely be just because they're about the same size, and that's really <laughs> stupid. But.
2: Uh, you know, I think that's a <laughs> funny comparison, and I'm gonna toss out another Chris Peterson quarterback that I think height and weight wise is a little You're close. Say Kellen Moore, Kellen Moore <laughs> yeah, six foot, 197 pounds when he was playing, right? And uh, I think he's got that uh, that win-loss. Right record uh pretty much locked Ke- away kellen for the Moore. rest
0: of ncaa history right kellen more is he the oc or the quarterback's coach for the dallas now he's thir- isn't he 29 or 30 years old 30 that isn't that incredible it's amazing amazing
2: for a guy that came from um uh, proser washington Prosser. Prosser, washington i mean
0: I know that uh, you know he was a guy. I think uh, I think he had some interest in Oregon State coming out of high school. But um, and
2: as I recall, I believe Smith, when he was uh, the quarterbacks coach, when he was, you know, I think they overlapped a little bit there. So maybe he likes those those smaller quarterbacks (laughs) that can move and toss it around. I think we're in the weeds a little bit. Yeah, we might, but uh, you know, it's it's worth talking about in the sense of you know guys always. You know, sometimes there's coordinators and coaches that have. A, a kind of a physique build of what they're looking for in a guy, and, um, you know, I don't think, you know, it's pretty obvious there are some differences. You get some more pluses and um, minuses when you go with Luton or Jebby because there are different physicality and skill set. You have Jake, who's maybe more cannon arm, but it's going to be in the pocket, and Tristan, who could, you know, maybe tuck it and run a little bit more than Jake and could handle that more intermediate dink and dunk game, so it's kind of going to come down to what they value more, I think, because you get pros with both guys, but you also get a couple minuses with both guys. Yeah, I mean, we could talk about this forever. <laughs> I think we have talked
1: about it multiple <laughs> yeah. times. So let's, yeah.
0: let's go ahead and switch gears here, wrapping up kind of with the, the Oklahoma State game, uh, with the opener, obviously. I guess, have you... Have you done too much research on the Cowboys yet? You know, I've looked up some stuff. Uh, Oklahoma State opened as a 16.5-point favorite in this game. And from what I've seen, that that line has been bet all the way down to 14.5 in some places. So money has been coming in on Oregon State. And, and that really still is at 14.5 or 15. That's still a pretty hefty spread. I, I have to think Oregon State, um, you know, even with some issues on defense and offensive line that we've talked about, Gotta have, think they have a decent shot at covering a couple touchdowns, right?
2: Yeah, that game is going to be interesting because, you know, we talked about that touchdown spread, you know, a couple times. And, you know, now you're looking at, you know, there's a lot of intrigue to that game, right? It's a Friday night. Uh, Oklahoma State's coming in um, with potentially two quarterbacks. They're, you know, choosing between uh, Spencer Sanders, Drew Brown right now. Um, The mullet has come out and said that he's willing to use two quarterbacks, um, which is so anti-Oklahoma State and everything Mike Gundy has done in the past, surprisingly. And they're breaking in a brand new offensive coordinator after Mike Urich left in the Mm offseason, as we know. Urich is one of the up-and-coming offensive minds, and was even rumored as an Oregon State candidate mm-hmm. a couple, you know, a couple years ago. So there's going to be some turnover, and Oklahoma State, you know, we don't really know what to expect from them in some regard. You know, they, um, uh, you look at last year, they went seven and six, and that's very, you know, not what Oklahoma State's done. So they could. You know, in years past, after years that they've gone that 7-win mark or whatever, they've usually jumped it right back up to 10 in the, you know, in the Gundy regime. But I think there's a lot more pressure on Oklahoma State in this game than Oregon State to the point where if Oklahoma State comes in and they're tense, they're ner- like whatever it is, you know, nationally televised Friday night game, Oregon State has got nothing to lose going into this game. Oklahoma State has everything to lose. You know, you look at Oregon State, you know, they're coming in, no one's expecting them to win this game. Oklahoma State, everyone is, but if the Beavers are, you know, made some leaps and bounds and did, you know, able to win this game, that's a much much bigger win for Oregon State just in the sense of if Oklahoma State dropped to Oregon State, that would be a stain that they could not erase from this season. No disrespect to Oregon State, but coming into the year,
0: no one's expecting the Beavers to do much. I mean, looking just looking at the schedule again, we've talked about the schedule before, but still. Oklahoma State, Hawaii, Cal Poly. I, just, I think that most people probably think that for the Beavers to have the kind of year that they want to have, just have to start 2-1 and one in these games. Obviously, 3-0 and oh would be ideal, but that's, that's just, I, in, I, in my mind, that's probably just too much to ask for Coach Smith in his second year with kind of the, the question marks that we do have around Oregon State. So in your opinion, what is, after those first three games, we're looking at Pac-12 play now, what is kind of the, the tipping point game for the viewers in conference play and maybe and again maybe tipping point isn't the right phrase I think I'm kind of trying to ask what is the, the most critical game for the Beavers in Pac-12 play to win as far as kind of keeping a positive momentum going throughout the season? So, obviously, the Civil War is not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a game maybe in the first half of the Pac-12 schedule where if Oregon State wants to really make that mark, be that improved team, what's the game that they need to go and win that game? I've got two of them for you. The first one's going to be
2: September 28th against Stanford. That is Good choice. Oregon State plays let's, – let's just you know, throw out just the possibility, maybe even throw on some orange-colored glasses – Say Oregon State is able to upset Oklahoma State, and then they fall through in Hawaii, Cal Poly, or they drop the first one, win two. Best case scenario, three and zero. Worst, you know, we'll
0: say most realistic case, two and one. Probably. And one and two is, I, I think, oh, I mean, you could say zero oh and three. But I the would, worst case is one and two. Yeah.
2: So going into that, I, I, I'm of the mind where I expect Oregon State to be two and one, likely. Uh, but Me the, as pot- well. but the potential could be there for three and zero or one and two. Right. Either uh-huh. way could swing. But the fact they have a bye after Cal Poly, two weeks to get ready for Stanford, and as I recall... uh, And And
0: not only do they have the bye... Before Stanford, they get to play Cal Poly the week before the bye. So if a couple guys do get dinged up, or if there are early season injuries, that gives them even more time. Where there's like a, a Artavis Pierce is a perfect example. If he is a little bit banged up, there's no reason you need to play him against Cal Poly. That could potentially yeah. give him a guy like that two weeks off or other yeah. linemen. So I think that is a really good point. That I mean, again, you can't overlook Cal Poly and just show up. But from a standpoint of maybe resting a couple guys that are banged up, I think it's kind of a nice time to have that that third non-conference game for
2: sure and you know I look at Cal Poly as the cupcake game just in the sense of you know Oregon State we saw was not a great team last year they still handled Southern Utah and Southern Utah is a much better program Mm -hmm. than where Cal Poly is so given that Oregon State's not even opening the year with Cal Poly they'll play two much better teams before Cal Poly I think the role in that game but the thing for that Stanford game there's a couple factors whether it's Oregon State you know opening Pac-12 play in Research Stadium whether it's having two weeks, Stanford has a brutal schedule before they play the Beavers. They got Northwestern week one, who we know is solid. Northwestern has been solid. And there's a UCF game in there, too, right? At USC, right. second week, yeah. at USC. I mean, those games are always good. Yeah.
0: At UCF, who's lost one game in the last two seasons, that I I think you can make the argument that that is the biggest game UCF has played the yep. last two years. That's including those bowl games. For because sure. If UCF, this is an opportunity for UCF to prove to actually play one of these one of these Power Five teams in the regular season. It's an underrated massive game. I yep. almost wonder if College Game Day will be there.
2: And then while Oregon State is sitting back on their couches getting ready for that Stanford game, they get to watch them play Oregon. The Ducks play Stanford the week before Oregon State does in Palo Alto. Oregon and Stanford playing that early in the season, the outcome and just like um, the ramifications of who wins that game could be huge. And, you know, you look at last year, how Stanford came back and beat Oregon the way that they did. That game's going to be exciting. And I think Stanford, after playing Northwestern, USC, UCF, and Oregon – that's four pretty tough yeah. games before they play the Beavers. They could be licking their wounds a little bit coming into Corvallis as Oregon State hasn't played, any, you know, hasn't played a Power 5 team since August 30th. So I don't know. I see that game as a, as a potential for Oregon State to announce they've arrived and then the next week. I don't expect UCLA to be a fantastic team this year. That might be their best opportunity for a Pac-12 road win.
0: That was the game that, that I was going to s- select, and I think I, I've actually been asked this question. I think I stole this question from Canzano or maybe or somebody. But I, I really do think it's going to be that UCLA game, and I really like your points on on Stanford. That is fascinating. I cannot believe the Cardinal have such a brutal schedule. Um, the Cardinal also do just fly out have more talent than oh, I to yeah. say at this point, but. UCLA, you know, I'm not sure that you can just blanketly say that. It's the second year for Chip Kelly. And, you know, the the Bruins are going through some of the same growing type pains that we're seeing here in Corvallis with Jonathan Smith. And you also have to factor in... That the atmosphere at the Rose Bowl on that October 5th is probably not going to be necessarily that intimidating. The mm-hmm. weather will be good. That I think good weather actually helps Oregon State's offense. And I just, I think from what we've seen, I'm not sure that playing on the road is necessarily a terrible thing for the Beavers. We've actually seen them have some decent efforts on the road. Obviously last year picked up their one conference win on the road at Colorado. It's, it's not like I would go in and predict Oregon State to, to go down to UCLA and win or anything, but I just feel like a, a victory in that game would be just huge for the momentum heading into into the rest of the schedule because if you do look at that november slate for oregon state it's pretty tough there's a lot of tough games on there and, and oregon state also has a couple of road games there's what an at cal and at arizona So, yeah, it's definitely a tough schedule for the Beavers down the stretch.
2: Yeah, you know, you look at it after that, you know, it gets real tough. You know, you look to end the year, you know, Oregon State's got to go at Washington State, at Oregon. There are some tough games as November comes and, you know, wins are going to obviously be at a premium. So Oregon State's got to be competitive in those games where maybe the disadvantages aren't swayed way too far in one
0: direction slaughter thanks so much for sitting down with me again you got anything to plug real quick for beaver's edge before you hop over to practice yeah make sure to check out uh, practice highlights
2: man beaver's edge make sure you get a good look at what's going on in oregon state practices
0: awesome all right well, we're gonna take uh, one last little break here and then close the show with some housekeeping
1: Anna Kinzano hosts that expert show the show you help run hear the top experts on a variety of topics interviewed by a top journalist find that expert show and other shows on the thatcast network visit thatcast.com from Gil coliseum to research stadium it's the beaver buzz
0: with bob lundeberg all right i've got a couple announcements here before we wrap up today's show First off, uh, I just wanted to let all my loyal listeners know that this will almost certainly be my last podcast before football season begins. And before you guys come out with pitchforks, I do have a fairly good reason as to why. Um, I will be off for all of the next two weeks as I'm getting married in southern Oregon uh, later this month and then heading up to the Wallowas, uh for a nice, fun, uh, relaxing honeymoon. So I will be very, very absent from social media for the next couple weeks, and I can't say that I'm not looking forward to that. If, uh, and if getting married wasn't enough, uh, I will also actually be moving uh, to the Boise area over Labor Day weekend. I do have to admit it's, uh, it's going to be very weird not living directly next to Oregon State Sports and, and covering it um, on a day-to-day basis via writing, as I've done for the last few years here. But I, I do plan to, uh, to keep this podcast going through at least the fall and, and maybe even longer and keep, and keep it going you know on an indefinite period, uh, depending on what my schedule ends up being uh, when I do get out there. So my my soon-to-be wife and I are moving because she got a promotion at work. And obviously, since I'm a freelance writer, I have the ability to work remotely from a lot of stuff. So it just made a lot of sense for us um, in our relationship to go do this and move out there to Boise. My, like I already kind of said, my day to day coverage of Oregon State sports is definitely going to drop off. I wouldn't say it, it, I would not try to argue otherwise, but I, I am going to be working on a baseball, a beaver baseball related project uh, w- when I'm out in Boise that I'm not quite ready to talk about publicly yet. So yes, I will be moving to a different state and I'm no longer going to be an Oregon State beat writer or anything like that. But don't worry, I, I'm definitely ingrained with this stuff. I'll still be following along closely and, and the podcast is definitely going to return after the Oklahoma State game. And if you're tired of the podcast and don't want to listen to it anymore anyway, I guess uh, you, can, you can go ahead and this can be the, the last podcast. But if you're tired of this podcast, why are you still listening to it? That's a very interesting question. On that note, everyone, thanks, uh, thanks, seriously, so much for listening to the podcast over the last eight months or so. I've had a lot of fun doing it, and I, I really, am looking forward to keeping this thing going after I getting after uh, after I get married later this month. All of you uh, married guys and gals out there, feel free to uh, to tweet me any marriage advice. I haven't uh, I haven't started to get too nervous about this whole thing yet, but uh, but I can feel it coming because I know that uh, I know that that it will in the day or two leading up and the day of. I'm probably going to be pretty nervous about it, but luckily I'm marrying a, a big sports fan who puts up with all my little quirks, and I have no doubts that I'm definitely making the right decision with all this. So that'll, uh, that will do it for today's Beaver Buzz podcast, part of the ThatCast podcast network. It's time for me to get off the grid, and I'll, uh, I'll be back in early September then to talk about the big Oregon State-Oklahoma State game. Thanks again for listening, everyone, and uh, we'll talk to you again later on.
1: Discover the growing lineup of ThatCast Network podcasts and videocasts at thatcast.com.